Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we are discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 7, Those Old Scientists. What an amazing celebration of (laughs) Star Trek, of Lower Decks in particular, Obviously, I have quibbles because I'm awake and I'm alive, but I really, really enjoyed this episode. And then I enjoyed it even more watching it a second time. It's very much a breath of fresh air. Yes. It's bringing a lot of fun. Not that Strange New Worlds isn't fun, but it's a different kind of fun. Yeah. You know, Strange New Worlds is often tackling serious topics in a very light-hearted way and that can be very jarring whereas this really was a very low stakes adventure we don't even get the sense that terrible things are going to happen if the colonists don't get their grain worst case mm-hmm. scenario they have to move to another planet which is obviously not great like the marquis fought a whole war about that but it doesn't seem to be the end of the world And that is exactly the right note to hit for this really delightful crossover. And I saw Oppenheimer last Saturday and then this dropped on Sunday. So it was kind of the Jack Quaid weekend. That's right. (laughs) Yes. He's delightful. I never really thought about him until recently. And then he came up on a list of Nepo babies and I was like, he's not a Nepo baby. He's just a little guy. He is the son of Jack <laughs> Quaid and Meg Ryan. He is absolutely he's a Nepo baby. he's also not a little guy. He's very tall. <laughs> he's a very mm. tall Nepo baby. Yeah. However, he's a delight. Yeah, yeah. And he also owns up to it. He doesn't hide that fact. That's the whole thing with Nepo babies. If they acknowledge that they have an advantage and they are nevertheless hardworking and talented, fine. You're a nice guy with talent who got lucky. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. It's the ones who are like, oh, just because I'm Johnny Depp's daughter doesn't mean that I had an advantage. You know, don't be disingenuous. And he's been out on the front lines of the streak. Yeah, yeah. He and Tawny Newsom both seem like decent people and it was fantastic to see their actual faces. And re-watching a second time, I really did appreciate the physical work they did to recreate the animation of their characters. The way that they walk, the way that they Mm. move, the way that they stand. Tawny Newsom's facial expressions yeah like obviously her voice is going to be the same so she's like she's hitting the same tones but somehow she's able to recreate the facial expressions of the cartoon even though the cartoons are significantly unrealistic yes obviously a lot of attention has been given to jack quaid doing the boimler walk with his bum moving from side <laughs> to side and all of that is great and even the way boimler moves his hands very nervously jack yes. quaid got that but i also want to shout out that tawny Newsome understood that mariner takes up a lot of space she leans she lounges she mariner mm-hmm. spreads there was just <laughs> tremendous work from both of them and it was delightful and on the whole I think the Strange New Worlds team rose to the challenge of welcoming their guest stars in and loosening up their own performances without trying to overshadow them. 
Yes. You can also tell this was directed by Jonathan Frakes. 100%. <laughs> there are so many scenes that I just wanted to screen cap and turn into live journal icons. And <laughs> not to be all kids today, but did you know that modern widescreen aspect ratio makes it really hard to fit a full scene into a live journal icon? It's true. It's true. Man, I loved my true icons. No, I still have so many. Like, I, I spent days on these. I'm not throwing them away. They're in a folder on this computer that I'm recording on right now. I will share some. Amazing. Yeah, this episode was visually delightful. The acting was great. And I really enjoyed your comparison to Barbie because I had the same thought that this was Barbie and the next episode under the cloak of war is Oppenheimer. Yes. I feel like they did it on purpose. <laughs> Even though there's no way they could have because they couldn't have known about Barbenheimer when they planned it. And yet it was perfect. Yes. And I'll talk about tone when we get to that one. But mm. for this, like I literally saw Barbie, I finished watching Barbie and I went home and watched this episode like immediately. Mm. It was, there was like a half hour to 40 minutes in between of, you know, just travel. So I was in Barbie mode while watching this. And there's the obvious comparisons of they go from the quote unquote fake world to the quote unquote real world. Mm. And there are tonal differences and they have different expectations. Like Boimler thinks he knows exa exactly what he's going to get mm. and it's and it's different. And he's like, wait, this is wrong. I don't understand. I don't like it. And so it's like one of those cautionary tales of you get everything you ever wanted and it's it's not what it's meant to be. And they also have to go back in order to fix it. So there's a lot of little, little Barbie parallels, mm. but I also think that once again, this episode is all about identity. <laughs> yes. It's about Spock's identity. It's about Uhura's identity. It's about Mariner and Boimler's identity. It's about Pike's identity. Everybody gets their little moment. Mm. And it's also about Chapel being erased. Yes. And, and Ortega's sort of like they know who she is they like make a point of one of mm. saying oh i know who eric Ortega is which was good because <laughs> it's like we don't we don't know that we don't, <laughs> we don't have any mm. we don't have anything in the future because the future was already before she existed to see that and so i was glad that she got a shout out but it was also like i still don't know who mm. eric Ortega is so boimler and, and mariner can you please spend some time with her so that i find out and yes. that sort of happened, so that was good. Mm. I saw Barbie at a preview on the Wednesday, and then Saturday I had to get out of Barbie mode because I was still thinking about the Proust joke. I had to get out of Barbie mode and see Oppenheimer. And then I was still in Oppenheimer mode when this dropped early, and it was a real head head spin. But we yeah. did have Spock and Boimler doing mad science, so, you know, it kind of fit together. I can see that. I can see that. And the question of who gets credit for a scientific discovery and who is allowed to be a scientist. I can make this about Oppenheimer, is what I'm As saying. As well? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to make next week's episode about Barbie. I'm going to do my homework and make it happen. <laughs> but let's talk about my note here. Boimler is the voice of fandom, which he always has been. Yes. Whenever we have that, like, who are you in Trek? 
type mm. of thing on social media. And so many people pick Boimler, which I'm very excited to see because all those same people used to pick Barkley and like, ew. I'm so happy that we have Boimler to fill that gap. Mm. Boimler, his job is just trick. His job is just trick. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to track and he's like, wait. I can't do this because it's wrong. <laughs> this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So that was delightful. <laughs> People have been saying that Spock is in Spock literally all season. Yeah. So it was really fun for that to be text. Mm, mm. And for even Boimler to come to the, the decision that actually that doesn't matter. That was when Boimler, as he did in... I excretus the best episode of Florida Text. He became Hanukkah's favorite character. <laughs> he had again a moment here mm. where he stopped being the voice of all fandom and became the voice of Hanukkah. <laughs> when he said, Wait, I figured out that continuity doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just gonna do what's right. And I was like, Exactly. Exactly, Bradward. I'm so proud of you. This is the lesson that I have wanted Strange New Worlds itself to learn from the beginning. Our friend Fran was very critical of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow because this is an episode that nodded at changing history but didn't have the guts to save Khan Noonie and Singh from his own future. And mm -hmm. I think they made a really good point. And I love that Bradward reaches that conclusion and goes maybe it's okay if history changes maybe canon doesn't matter let's just save people maybe canon doesn't matter let's just save people yeah yeah they even extend that to pike you know about your future why are you isolating yourself from the people who you who you know are going to be hurt and saddened right. when you leave their lives that was also a wonderful Bradward moment. Yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> you know. I'm gonna see Oppenheimer and Jack Way's coming in. I'm gonna be like, oh boy. And it's gonna be like, wait, that's wrong. I actually want to see it again because I was aware of him and his character, but I did not recognize him as Jack Quaid. There are a lot of white men in that movie, and I am honestly very proud of how many I could tell apart. I'm just going to put it that way. But yeah, that's the three-hour movie and I am going to watch the Jack Quaid cut. I have come to love Bradwood Boimler. Like you, I excretus is where I finally stopped finding him more annoying than endearing. But for me, the mm -hmm. episode really came to life when Beckett joined him oh, in the right. past. Uh, I think Boimler without Mariner <laughs> is just a tall little guy. Boimler with Mariner is an unstoppable force. Exactly. Mm. It's really delightful. We've said this before that despite there being lower decks mm. and explicitly ensigns and having no power whatsoever, they are one of the best captain and first officer duos yeah. <laughs> to exist in the Star Trek franchise. You need both of them mm. to understand either. Yes. And it's interesting that here, and I think it's because Boimler is sent to the past first, he seems to be the one in charge, which kind of bugged me a little. Like, Mariner is his chadich, you know? She's the boss. She's the bad influence, which I guess Pike recognises. I agree, but it's also good when she finds him in the shuttle. Yes. And she's like, you've learned so well, my little Padawan. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you are taking initiative <laughs> and doing the right thing 
that is the wrong thing all on your own. So it's also this realization that Mariner has influenced Boimler and turned him into that better character that I love now. That is so true. That is so true. This is an episode where we see just how far Bradwood has come under her guidance, which is not entirely a bad influence. Because Mariner has been, from the beginning, screw Starfleet rules, screw canon, let's help people. Right. That's her whole thing. Yeah. And it's why initially I was like, just leave Starfleet. Mm. <laughs> just leave Just leave Beckett. It's okay. You can leave. You can do that somewhere else. But I came around on her as well. In this, I mean, I always loved her as a character, but I came around on her being in the show. <laughs> <laughs> being in Starfleet. <laughs> Being in Starfleet, which was required for her to be in the show, when she had the arc in the second season where she also learned that she actually wants to be in Starfleet. Mm. And I saw that in this episode as well, because it was sort of like, oh, she joined Starfleet because of Uhura. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Totally accept that headcanon. And she didn't want to disappoint Uhura, so she stayed in Starfleet all that time, even though she didn't, like, she didn't fit in. And we've been complaining that people keep telling Uhura that she doesn't belong in Starfleet. And this episode was about Uhura being Mariner's personal reason. Yeah. Her inspiration. And like, not only for Mariner, but we've discussed how Uhura and Nichelle Nichols herself was a huge Mm -hmm. inspiration Mm -hmm. to women all across the world, the real world. Mm -hmm. So there was this meta level of let's all worship Uhura. And then Uhura got to say, you know, stop. I'm, I'm only 22 years old and I can't deal with this. Mm. I need to be the person to explain, yeah, I'm not sure I belong in Starfleet, but I'm also like allowed to figure that out myself. Stop talking to me about it, <laughs> everybody. Right. And let me do it, which, you know, was like, yes, agency for Uhura. I love that after we've had two prominent white men telling Uhura to maybe rethink Starfleet, we have a big, ballsy black woman telling her, this is where you belong, you are inspirational, you are outstanding, you are going to do so much. And then, as you say, we have Uhura going, that is also a lot of pressure. Please just let me be Uhura. Can I just be myself? Yeah. And yet... You know, Beckett doesn't really grow as a character in this episode. She comes in as Beckett Mariner. She goes out as Beckett Mariner. But Uhura is beginning to let go of her workaholism and become a more rounded person. And Erica takes credit for that. And certainly this is a project that Erica has been working on for some time. But I think Beckett Mariner gave her the final push. And the realisation that Uhura can let go of things for a while and her career and her work will still be there when she comes back. That's an important lesson for all over-eager college graduates entering the workforce, especially in, you know, contemporary hustle culture. Legitimately. Yeah. My job. I I am not a professor, so the professors say these are the things that are required to be a good undergrad researcher, to be a good grad student, to be a good whatever. And my job is to say, also, take a break. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't forget (laughs) to take a meal. Don't forget to have fun. Mm. Go see Barbie. (laughs) 
take that two hours. It's okay. Your work will still be here when you come back. Don't be mad at me for saying this, but I think you might be the Erica Ortegas of your department. Might at least be the Christine Chapel of my department. <laughs> yes. Look, <laughs> Erica Ortegas was, you know, the back half of this season or Erica Ortegas is becoming a better person. At least a more well-rounded person, yeah. I guess, is the more, more of a person. I think we're getting a sense of her as someone who is absolutely ride or die for the people she considers her friends and who really doesn't care about anyone else. And Mm. that doesn't make her a nice person, but it makes her an Mm. interesting character. And I will take an interesting character over a haircut with quips any day. Yes. I was going to say something very wise and I forgot what it was. I had a segue... No. I'm sorry that I got upset that you called me Eric Ortega. No, no. I refuse. You were right to do so. You were correct. Uh, I will say, yes, I remember what I was going to say. Christine is modelling that self-care. She takes breaks from work. She has a social life outside of her romantic relationship. Helps that that romantic relationship is secret, so she kind of has to keep hanging out with her friends. And yet, it's frustrating that her story in this episode is basically realising not just that her relationship with Spock is finite, which she has always known on some level, but it it must hurt to have it reinforced, but realising that she doesn't matter to the future. Brad Boimler is not excited to meet Christine Chappell. That is very sad because she's definitely the one that I want to meet. Yeah. Oh, Brad is wrong in this instance. Brad is wrong. But it's also very, again, true to life. No one, including me, (laughs) Christine Chappell before Strange New Worlds. She had a very tiny fandom of like four people who Mm. were mostly Majel Barrett fans. Yes. Who were just sort of happy that, <laughs> that she got to continue being in the show. And she's having a renaissance now. I am mm. not the only Christine Chapel fan, a Jess Bush Christine Chapel fan. And of course the nurse is going to be forgotten. Mm. The nurse mm. is always forgotten. The, the support people, me mm. again, <laughs> I am the Christine Chapel of my department because I get zero credit mm. <laughs> and I, and that's unfair because I got a lot of credit for doing the things that I do. You know, I, I worked more than my hours this week. I worked uh, 40 hours by Thursday and I was thanked for that and people uh, appreciated me, mm. but that was about my support work, not about like inspiring the next generation of scientists. Mm. Mm. <laughs> That's not what I do. And that's not what Christine does either, even though she totally should and would. Honestly, I think that if Tendi had gotten to travel back in time, and we'll get to that, Tendi would be excited to meet Christine Chapel. I agree. I agree with that assessment. But also, we get a three-hour movie about J. Robert Oppenheimer and no time at all on the women who were the typists and, you know, the women who kept Los Alamos running. I don't want to be like... Ooh, girl boss feminism about the atomic bomb. We don't know their names. We do. There's a whole book about them. It's $100, (laughs) so I'm not going to buy it. I meant, like, we being people who are discussing Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. You you need to go digging to find out who they were. And 
even coming into Star Trek, you need to go digging to find out who Christine Chapel is and why she matters. And right. a lot of that is coming from Strange New Worlds itself. Uh, but mm. in my rebuttal to people who I have been getting my bad Spock takes again, <laughs> so many bad Spock takes and so many bad Spurk takes. Also, Spurk is a stupid name. Just call it, call it Kirk Spock. Call it K slash S. If it was good enough for the women of the 1960s, it's good enough for us. And I don't often say anyway. that about second wave feminists. The bad takes are that if Boimler had not been interrupted by Christine, he would have gone on and on about how important Spock was to Kirk. <laughs> and how all you know the second half of the biography was all about Kirk's enterprise and mm -hmm. how important Spock was to that. And first of all, Boimler only talks about Spock's childhood on purpose because he is trying to not affect mm. the future. Mm. And so Spock's childhood has already happened. And so he can say things like that. And but like we said, Boimler isn't excited to meet Christine. And so Boimler, he could have read Spock's biography and completely ignored any mention of Christine because that wasn't why he was reading Spock's biography. Right. Also, Spock <laughs> might have left his relationship with Christine out of his autobiography at her request. We know that she doesn't want to make their relationship public. We know she's kind of cagey about relationships in general. Maybe she didn't want to be remembered by history as one of the Spock's loves girlfriend. Of... Yeah, like, yeah. She wants to be her own person. Right. That's literally her entire thing. Mm. So. And ironically, she has to fight against the show itself to get that. <laughs> so funny. I love her. She's perfect. I know. All of her flawed beauty. <laughs> the other thing is, when Boimler was talking about how important Spock was going to be, I thought he was thinking of like unification and no. the Kittimer Treaty, you know, making peace with the Klingons. Because we have to remember that Boimler is like, everything is going on mm. when, when the whole Romulus stuff is happening now. Yeah, or, yeah. Or We're... It's like starting. And certainly Spock has been on Romulus for like ever. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kittimer Accords were more than a decade ago. 80 years. Like, Spock is super important. And I, yeah, I agree. I think that all of that is more important than the stuff that he did on the Enterprise. Mm. And Spock is more important than Kurt. Sorry. It's just truth. No, I think that's very true. <laughs> and the Enterprise years are sort of the peak of Kirk's life you know, TOS through the movies, whereas Spock's life is much longer and has many peaks and the Enterprise years are just one of several major achievements of his career and life. And that's good. When you live as long as a Vulcan, you really don't want to peak too soon. Like Sarek. So, but yeah, I enjoyed Spock. Like, honestly, by the end, he was doing it on purpose. Oh, 100%. He was absolutely creeping out Boimler mm -hmm. on purpose. Mm -hmm. He was also, like, I love, 
I'm going to be a protective boyfriend's fuck. Yes. <laughs> More of that energy. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. I'm, I'm all over it. It's great. It's not what she wants. And yet, mm. absolutely wonderful. So I, I I want their clandestine relationship to, to last a while because it's very entertaining to me. Yeah, I know I complained that they mm. got together too soon, but I do love a secret relationship. <laughs> I'm really into that vibe. <laughs> And I kind of love that, like, Brad Boimler knows. <laughs> like, now he can go back to the future and be like, hey, I know secrets. Yeah. I know a secret about Spock. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write secret Spock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, historic romance. Mm-hmm. That's true. He totally would, and I want to read it. And then Tendi would go, yeah, he talked about it in his biography. Did you just skip that chapter? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, Tendi. I bet Boimler skipped all the chapters about Spock's personal life because he didn't want to be disrespectful and didn't want to find out too much information. Like, that is 100% Boimler. I bet he fast-forwards through sex scenes in movies. Yeah, he doesn't care about personal relationships either. Like, in, in romances, that's not his thing. Yeah, he occasionally is interested in people, but, like, he is not as asexual as what's-his-face, the engineer, but he is closer on the spectrum to asexuality than, say, Mariner. It's not his, like, goal. Yeah. Speaking of, I feel like if this was a Lower Decks episode, we would actually acknowledge Mariner's crush on Ahura and Boimler's crush on Tendi. Tendi, really. Tendi and Spock, absolutely (laughs) interchangeable. Boimler's crush on Spock instead of just talking around it. That felt Mm. like a really odd omission to me and the heterosexual agenda strikes again. The heterosexual agenda was definitely in plain sight. Mm. I can read between the lines and see it with Mariner and Uhura. Absolutely. It was definitely not being played that way with Boimler and Spock. It was like a respect hero worship thing. The <laughs> I love how she just immediately wanted Uhura. Mm. I mm. love that when she got to meet Uhura, she was like, hey... You're my favorite person, and I need to tell you all how amazing you are. And I was like, "You're scary. <laughs> You're a bit much. Let's take a let's take a few steps back." And Mariner respected that, and also yes. like switched immediately to, "Okay, we have to teach you <laughs> some mm. self care. <laughs> mm. We need to show you how to have fun." Kind of the way she showed Boimler how to. Yeah, really. Yeah. It, was, it was the same impulse of like, oh, okay, that's who you are. We got to stop that. I wouldn't change anything about Mariner's actual interactions with Ahura, but I would have Boimler saying, this is not the time for your weird history crush or, you know, something like that when they're talking outside her quarters. And that's instead, fair. all we get is the weird fake out about the Una pinup, which... Obviously, I love the poster. I love that Una becomes a recruitment tool for Starfleet. And yet, just the whole pin-up thing, it it felt outdated even for now. And comedy that comes from miscommunication like that, where it could very easily be cleared up by stopping to have a very quick conversation, it doesn't work for me. So what I liked was that Mariner didn't know what she was talking about. True. So it was outdated for the 
future time, mm-hmm. even in like textually, it was yes. updated. And she was like, I don't understand that reference, which was good because you guys showing that it was outdated. And I also on a meta level, having Rebecca Romaine, who is 100% a pinoff. This is true. Have you seen many Rebecca people's Romaine? walls? <laughs> mm. And was known for that for years. Right. It's only like once she was like over 30, then they were like, oh, wait, she can act. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, now she's old. So we have to pay attention to her in a different way. Mm. And they realized that she's good at her job and, yeah. she, and she's not just a walking, talking, you know, legs, boobs, lips mm. person. Mm which obviously you and I knew all along. This was not a shock to me, but of course, (laughs) even in the X-Men movies where she gives a great performance, she is literally naked except for blue paint and a few silicon bits. So, yeah. And then she was, you know, everybody in those movies was replaced with people who were younger than them. But she's gotten like a a 10-second cameo (laughs) and Patrick Stewart has had a whole movies yeah. where he got to play that part again. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a thing. And so, mm. so I, again, it was sort of tongue in cheek that it was Rebecca Romaine's plot line mm. and the resolution was so heartwarming. The, the resolution being the caption. Yes. The Ad Astra Asper. Mm. Like, obviously it's great that she's a recruitment poster, but the fact that they, they put that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they put what she said in the trial and why why it was so important, like why she joined Starfleet on the poster. And the way she said, I, I mean, you know, Uno was played for laughs this entire episode until that moment. And the way she said, like, it's like, you know, four words. They, they put that on the poster. Like, yeah, it, it's beautiful <laughs> the way she said it. And I cried. Mm. I cried twice. This is another thing about Barbie is that, I laughed throughout Barbie and then I was sobbing. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same with this where I was like laughing and enjoying it and it was goofy and silly and entertaining. And then there are two moments where I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't handle my emotions. And it was Una saying they put that on the poster and it was the Orion saying, that's all I've ever wanted. Yes. I just want to be a scientist. And I was like, I love you. It's the same story that these are both outsiders who are not trusted by the Federation and in 120 years they will be part of Starfleet and the inspiration for other people to join Starfleet. You've totally changed my mind on that whole joke and your note that this is a sign of, you know, social change that Merida doesn't know what a pinup is. I really like that detail because I remember years ago a friend of mine complained that there's not a lot of social change in the Federation between TOS and TNG. And I think she was wrong, but I also think the change is more subtle than you think. And so that and the whole, do you notice how quietly they talk and so slowly joke? That was almost my favourite joke of the episode. (laughs) So good. As a loud, fast talker and as someone who knows people who gave up on Lower Decks very early because they were talking too fast and it was a bit overwhelming, I just thought that was hilarious. And so little things like how people speak changing is great. And, yeah, can I talk about my complaint for this episode now? Of course. Go for it. It's Pike. (laughs) 
His role is to be the straight man and the grown-up and everyone else gets to be a little bit silly. Even mm. La'an gets to love grapplers, as she should. Whereas <laughs> Pike... Okay, Mbenga's not in this episode. He's in, like, one scene. More, mm-hmm. more Mbenga. But Pike just seems so unamused and uncharmed. And... He particularly seems to dislike Mariner in a way that makes me very protective of her. And I think this might in part be a me problem because I imagined this episode where it was Janeway in Pike's role doing and saying all the same things. And I was like, this is delightful. So I don't think this is necessarily a problem with Pike. I think it might be a problem with me. But you have this series, Strange New World, which is already very self-congratulatory and, you know, self-referential and then you have lower decks which is also very self-referential just in a less reverent way and so this crossover in some ways felt redundant and I was only aware of that when Pike was in the scene I don't know if it would have worked like they can't cross over with the car <laughs> can you imagine I can and it would be great. I think putting Jack Crusher and Beckett Mariner in okay. a room together. That's would... very fair. Yeah. That's very fair. I will take that. So they can come back in Legacy. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. No. I think that a crossover where Beckett and Boimler go forward into Discovery's time would have been difficult, but also maybe more rewarding. Just the contrast between the seriousness of Discovery yeah. and the chaos. I was going to say, you know, because they screwed us all over and made Discovery not exist. Get and and Boimler can't know about Discovery. No. And so... But that means Boimler gets to have the, this isn't canon, none of this is real, before he learns that canon doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yeah. I think it would be hard. And I also think that this is where the tonal things mm. actually come into effect, that Discovery is a very different tone yeah. than Lower Decks. And Strange New Worlds is willing to play with tone. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that's also why, until you said Beckett and Jack can hang out, which they absolutely should. And they're mm. like contemporaries, so cool. Yeah. So that can just still happen. But tonally... Picard and Lower Decks wouldn't make sense. <laughs> and totally Discovery and Lower Decks doesn't make sense. Whereas mm. Strange New Worlds is a lighter tone to begin with. And then it's like willing to play with. Yeah. And like just sort of jump from wherever it wants to go. I think you're right. And I think the real problem is just that I do not vibe with Pike. Whereas my actual favorite joke of the episode is Spock being the one to explain it's funny because you wouldn't expect Mariner to pay attention. He's known these people for a day. And yes, if it had been Boimler, yeah, if it had been Boimler <laughs> delivering that line, that would have just been some fairly stupid, let's stop and explain the joke. Right, right, right. Nonsense. Coming from Spock, that's hilarious. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I- Pike was a grump. Pike doesn't even show up in my entire outline here. I was like, I guess Pike was in this episode, whatever. Like, I forgot the whole birthday thing mm. because even though that's like a good plot point, yeah, it's definitely a, a an important, not an important part, but it's like something that happens that is a, a runner for the episode that I'm supposed to remember. And Pike learns a lesson mm. and I completely forgot that Pike mm. learned the lesson mm. because Pike is A, really bad at learning lessons. I actually don't, get the impression that he's learned anything ever he like 
came out of the academy knowing who he was and decided that was good enough. Yes. And the thing is that people keep telling him that he's bright. Yeah, so. yeah. In some ways, the most remarkable scene with Pike is where he tells Una that he may have made a mistake in giving Boimler too much rope. And A, completely wrong. Let Boimler do anything Boimler wants. And let Boimler be Boimler. Let Boimler be Boimler. And also, way to make this all about you, Chris. Well, yeah, that was going to be my second thing, that if I was going to put something out on the outline, it would be every interaction that Pike has he turns into it being about himself. Mm. He had the scene where they're trying to not tell him that he has this horrible future. And he's mm. like, it's cool. I already know about my horrible future. And they're like, oh, really? You know, like all of the horrible futureness. <laughs> and he is dismissive about it in mm. a way that where he's like, yeah, I already know it. And which is why I know that I don't want my birthday party. Like, mm. And he makes, yeah, and like, I guess your birthday is all about you, but not really. Like, if you're going to mm. celebrate, you celebrate with other people. Celebrating by yourself is kind of sad. Honestly, the whole fishing trip with a bottle of whiskey, it was just so blah, blah, man pain. Yeah, it was just sad. It was yeah. like, it was like I, I want to go somewhere where I, just, I can just be depressed about my life and no one interferes in it. And first of all, that is a red flag. <laughs> Someone should be checking in on bike and making sure that he's not actually depressed. And then second, the, his crew wants to do something nice for him to show him how much they like him. Mm -hmm. And Boimler is 100% correct that like, I loved that he was like, well, you're told this sad story about your dad and how you know, now you wish that you could have another day with him, don't you think that that's how they feel? And I was like, ooh, Brad word. That was some good mm. <laughs> emotional uh, intelligence there. Yeah, yeah. Chris, have you tried empathy? <laughs> We've discussed many times, Pike doesn't have empathy. And we'll discuss that more For next week. Anyone other than himself, which yeah. is, I guess, sympathy. So... Yeah, it's hard. And so it's interesting to me because it's kind of like with the Picard thing where there was like, do they know that they're doing this whole deconstruction of Picard thing? <laughs> Are they aware that that's what's happening? And it feels like that with Pike too. It's like, so mm. do they know that this character that they're creating is is like not great? <laughs> and <laughs> that makes it more interesting, but I don't think they know. No. No, I don't think they know. It's a bit like with Ortegas, except I'm starting to think they do know what they're doing with her. So we're just left with Pike as the weakest link. Let's talk about Tendi, because I feel like she was really important to this episode and hardly got to be in it. Right. We're advancing the Lower Decks arc of be less stereotypical about Orion's, please. And I love that Brad is the one going, yeah, it's actually kind of offensive to assume that all Orions are pirates. I don't want to call you guys racist, but... Again, it shows growth. Yes. Like, yes. his friends are affecting him, mm. which, I, again, is so important to me as, like, the meta level of Boimler as the fandom insert. Yes. For him to have these growth arcs and to be affected by Mariner and Tendi, and it's all going to sound 
sad and ridiculous, but the fact that he's now repeating what they say, like people will pay more attention. Yeah. Yeah. When a white man says it, even a white man with purple hair, which I'm sure is some kind of social justice warrior thing on anyway. Yeah. I, I really wish that Tendi had gotten to travel back into the past, maybe even instead of Mariner, because obviously you need Boimler as Boimler to be sucked in and start mm-hmm. it all, but to then have an Orion Starfleet officer and an Orion science officer turn up, she could have hung out with Christine. Yeah, I mean, I wish that all three of them, mm. all four, I wish yes, that all the yes. other three had followed him in. Yeah. Because... But I, they also wouldn't have had time to get all of the beats. I don't know. This was only a 46-minute episode. They've gone yeah. to an hour. We could have had an extra, you know, 15, 20 minutes just for Rutherford to hang out with Pelia and be a yeah, bit Yeah, I was going to say, so Rutherford's with Pelia. Oh, is that, yeah. Is that where, where it goes? Okay. Yeah, they could just have their own little subplot just hanging out being... Thank you. Truly, Pelia's scene with Boimler was wonderful. I didn't expect her to be in this episode. We always need more Pelia. And then we could have had Pelia and Rutherford and... Mm, And Tendi and Christine. And Mbenga. Yeah, and Mbenga. Mm. And they could do cool stuff that didn't have anything to do with Spock or War. Yeah. Yeah. would be cool. Yeah, good. I would like that. And Tendi could have been like, don't worry about Boimler. We love him, but his emotional intelligence is very hit and miss. I love them all. Yeah. The Lower Decks crew, they're so lovely. They're so great. But we did get also a shout out to Enterprise. Yes. And notably, Travis Mayweather and Hoshi Sato, the least developed <laughs> characters on Enterprise by far. So I, I enjoyed that. I love that it was like, oh yeah, Erica knows who Travis Mayweather is. Like yeah. that made me like her more. Right. And we had like discussed that Hoshi Sato was one of Uhura's mm. inspirations. So that was great. Connections are fun in this very self-referential episode. Mm. Like that was a whole point of it. It was like let's get as many in as we can. That was fun. I I enjoyed them being like, yes. we're not gonna stop at these two. We're also gonna bring in a third. And we're going to reference the least loved characters from the least loved trek. Right. Yes, exactly. And make a comparison between us and these mm. fans of mm. us like that was lovely it was yeah. a nice little layered i uh, would love to see pike go back in time to archer's enterprise because i think archer would hate him a lot and maybe punch him in the face and i think brad <laughs> would not cope with being thrown in the brig by christopher pike but i think chris pike needs to be punched in the face by jonathan archer i'm up for it mm. i would mm. i would be very happy seeing that let's make it happen yeah let's do it Spock and T'Pol are sitting on the (laughs) sidelines going, we should interfere, but honestly, this seems to be good for both of them. That's right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) My last thing about Una's poster, which is your penultimate note in our show notes, is that I have rapidly developed a headcanon that Boimler is Illyrian. And I know he was raised on Earth on a raisin farm, but that doesn't mean his parents are necessarily human. Maybe... They immigrated to Earth because they had a dream of raising raisins. And 
Boimler's hair is just a natural genetic trait that they, you know, had encoded into their DNA. And in this headcanon, the Federation has found a way to reconcile their overall ban on genetic augmentation with respect for Illyrian culture and the place that genetic experimentation has in that culture. And so maybe his hair is purple to blend in with the grapes. Illyrians change their physiology to blend in with the planet where they're living. And that's how his double was recruited into Section 31. Yes. Because they realized that they had a copy <laughs> of his, his Illyrian traits mm-hmm. and that they could they could use that. Because they totally, isn't that why Section 31 wanted Bashir? I'm pretty sure of it, yeah. Yeah, it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> Boimler is just a very average Illyrian guy raised on Earth and he could join Starfleet because of Una. That's my headcanon. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Okay. So since we're playing the game, let's put people in other things. Yes. Katrina Cornwell on Lower Decks is a little... I'm calling calling dibs on that, so... (laughs) All right. So I was going to say, I'm not quite sure about that. I mean, she's most needed in Picard, clearly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because Deanna isn't cutting it. (laughs) Deanna is just one woman. So I guess, you know what? Here we go. Katrina Cornwell got flung forward in time mm-hmm. and was assigned to newly human data. Yes. Because Deanna Troy couldn't physically listen to him any longer. <laughs> and Katrina said, I was friends with Gabriel Lorca. Yeah. I got this. Yeah, yeah. I have a very high tolerance for bullshit. <laughs> and so Data is finally getting the therapy that he wants. And Kadiana, in exchange for this, said that she will also give her an all expenses paid, you know, vacation mm-hmm. trip. Amazing, you know, at some point as well for her and whichever, you know, boy toy she wants to bring along. Nice. Or girl toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. I have also flung Katrina forward in time via the explosion. I have dropped her off in season four of TNG. But then 15, 20 years later, when Mariner and Boimler return home, she's the admiral who debriefs them because this is kind of her specialty now. She helps temporally displaced officers, you know, adjust to their new time period and if someone has had a time travel experience she debriefs them she offers counseling she wants to know how her old friend chris is doing and if his hair is still great and she's very (laughs) glad to hear that they're doing well and relieved and a little surprised that boimler and mariner did not change the timeline or did they or did they Mm. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky. Ooh, we're on Blue Sky now. All at Antimatterpod. And on Mastodon at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next 
week when we will be discussing the Strange New Worlds Season 2 episode, Under the Cloak of War. Please note that we are not releasing two episodes in one week because we are only human. Have some thought for your humble podcasters, please, Paramount. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.